Ladies and gentlemen, it's the captain speaking. Beyond the Cockpit with Grace McKellar. Hello everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Beyond the Cockpit. Today I'll be chatting to Renee and she is an airline pilot with lots of experience in the industry. More importantly, she's an advocate for mental well-being and we really just have quite an open and frank conversation about how mental well-being is dealt with really in aviation and the things that we can do on a personal level to try and improve our mental health and also Renee shares her thoughts on what the industry could do as a whole in helping to improve the mental well-being of everyone within the industry. Um, it's something slightly different but I feel like it's, it is it is an important conversation that we need to be having. Hello, thank you so much for joining me on uh, my podcast. If you wouldn't mind, could you just introduce yourself and uh, let the listeners know who you are and your background? Hello, Grace. My name is Renee O'Shaughnessy, and thank you for this opportunity to connect with you today. I am a female airline pilot, and I have been in the industry for 47 years. But more specifically, I've been flying jets for 35 years, and um, I'm soon to retire. So what were you doing? before you decided to fly jets? Thank you for asking. I was a flight attendant. Not too many people know that about my history. Back in the day, there weren't many female pilots. As a matter of fact, back in the 70s, female pilots were not existent. They were not hiring female pilots onto the commercial airliners. So I started very young uh, and I popped into the flight attendant position uh, mainly because I lived in in a small town that my friend's fathers were airline pilots. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, wasn't this nice? I think I'd like to wear a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, I couldn't be an airline pilot. And so I thought I will be a flight attendant. But it didn't take me too long to know that I was in the wrong side of the aircraft. I've asked you to come and speak to us today about something that you specialize in and you're passionate about, aviation wellness. So Mm. when in your career did you decide to specialize in this or have you always been passionate about well-being both inside and outside of aviation? That's a good question, Grace. Reflecting on my life, I always had a spark inside for living well, but it wasn't until I had a health scare at the age of 50 that really hurtled me to find my voice concerning well-being in the aviation community. Okay, so in terms of aviation, how do you think the industry has made changes to accommodate and promote the importance of mental well-being? That's another good question. And it's a tricky one because from the outside, it does appear that legislators and organizations, airline organizations, have made accommodations for people who are struggling in mental health. Human resources, they will promote and campaign. But those campaigns those committees, those resources have been underutilized because, well, for pilots, for example, uh, the barriers that the current 
regulations have in place. And I still think there's a stigma for everyone. We've come a long way since the 1950s, especially in the States, and I think all over the world, as far as destigmatizing mental illness. Yep. But we haven't come far enough. And there's quite a lot of evidence that modern Western civilization has made us miserable and unhappy. It, it's expressing itself in all sorts of different ways. So of, of course, people who are always distressed or anxious, that's on the rise. And we call it now an epidemic, but I would not call it mental illness. So expanding on that, what I found quite interesting is when I was starting to, you know, look into training, your aviation medical, and a few years prior to that, there was that German wings incident. What I found quite interesting is they're very particular about your physical health when it comes to your annual revalidation. But in terms of mental health, you know, it's it's more of just a question like, how are you doing mentally and everything? And do you think that this is something that should be taken a bit more seriously, as seriously as your physical health? Without question, medicine tells us that there's more going on between our, our head and our body than just our neck. We are connected physically and mentally. And if we're suffering, in any way from stress or anxiety or just unhappiness, mm. it can affect our physical well-being. And as you pointed out, when you were getting your pilot's license and your, and your medical, I think pilots shun away from that one question, are you mentally fit? Mm. Because they know if they check that box, yes or no, then that could open a whole avenue of questions. And for pilots, that could mean a talk and a walk to their chief pilot, or at the very worst, um, grounding. Mm. So they tend to go underground and they suffer and they suffer right up until they hit a brick wall. And then that's when they finally come out and start talking about it. I think it's really important that you and I are having this conversation right now and just being more open about talking about um, mental well-being, um, especially in um, an industry such as aviation. It is important that, you know, we start having these conversations. And for you, when you're promoting mental well-being or, you know, raising awareness of this issue, what are the biggest challenges that you face when you have these conversations? Do you find that people are becoming more receptive and more open to talking about it and more accepting the fact that well-being and the importance of well-being is really an industry-wide problem? I don't think the shift has occurred yet. And that's one of the challenges or that's one of the focuses that I had in my upcoming soon-to-be-published book that I, I wanted in this book to create awareness. And the only way that we can get it out front is to create this wellness. So one of my biggest challenges in the aviation industry is trifolded. One, it is the lack of education. Two, pilots are not very good at assessing their well-being. And thirdly is the self-awareness. So the self-awareness can't be achieved unless we have education and a good yeah. self-assessing. So pilots in general, or for anyone, a cabin crew or maintenance or ATC controllers or human beings, we're not very well trained to take care of ourselves. 
pilots don't want to be perceived as weak because they perceive themselves as having the right stuff. And that origin of that fraught relationship between pilots and doctors goes back to the beginning of aviation. So the well-being is not really being embraced because that can't happen until the awareness is heightened. And I think through your podcasts, books, and other educational avenues, I think more and more people will start to be educated. And once they are, then they're going to reach out and ask for some some guarantees that the pilot that is flying their plane or the flight attendant that is taking care of them in the back has access to good mental health treatment without any consequence to their job. I know this is a bit of a controversial question, but do you think that the stigma is generational? You're absolutely correct. Let me give you a little history of uh, the last generation of pilots. And it goes back 100 years ago when the psychological facets that were used for military purposes in the selection of pilots, they were very stringent and no pilot is eager to disclose deeply personal information. Uh, But your generation, they are more open and available to not only talk about mental health, again, I don't, I want to choose my words very carefully. I think essentially we were living in an increasing individualistic, materialistic, competitive, and fragmented society. Mm. And that's not good for any of us. And I think your generation is more open to talking about their mental health opposed to my generation, who was stuck in that 1950 type of stigma. But we've come a long way since that. Mm. And the result now is your generation is embracing how can I be not only physically well, but how can I be mentally well? Yeah, absolutely. Another slightly controversial question as well is, do you think that gender plays a role in our openness with mental health? I do. I do think it has a factor. And to be politically correct, you know, there's not a difference between a man and the wo- or a woman who is seated in the cockpit of an airplane no. or in the back of the airplane or the maintenance. But I, I do believe that, that women in the aviation uh, community are more open to talk about their feelings and their emotions in general mm-hmm. versus men But female pilots know what is at stake if they go in and talk about their emotions. So even though we're more open and available to talk about our emotions, our feelings, we know the landmines that we have to tiptoe around. And that's the shame. The shame is that we can't seek treatment, whether you're male or female, unlike any other profession. And so what happens if we can't seek treatment, then we go around self-medicating or not medicating at all, which that in itself becomes a public safety issue. Uh, The pride of a pilot has always been a part of the aviation profession, and it was used against the psychology of pilots back 
in World War One and World War Two, and the RAF bombing campaign. Still today, the threat of losing a professional license and the social stance has a great impact on a pilot's psyche. The ego blow of potentially losing their status and combined with an ingrained suspicion of doctors continues to create difficulties between pilots and healthcare professionals today. And quite specifically to answer your question, it's always looming over their head. Mm. If I walk into my aeromedical doctor's office and he asks me how I'm doing, the standard answer is I'm doing fine. Because if I don't answer I'm doing fine, it could lead to the loss of my license. And then how will I feed my family? How will I pay for my mortgage? How will I pay for my children to go to school, food, put food on the table? So Mm -hmm. yes, it's quite concerning. It's a double edged sword, they want to get treatment, but they can't reach out because they know if they do, it will take them one close of, of being tagged. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting how there is a bit of a discrepancy between physical wellness and mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And physical mental health, I mean, you could look at a person, and I write about this in the book, uh, you, you, you can't tell if someone is struggling mentally, he or she may be the person that that is the first one at a party and the last one to leave at a party. It might be your neighbor that looks like they are high achievers. They're very well put together, but yet underlying there's this bubbleness and they Mm. can't talk about it. So they just uh, suffer mental ill, not mental illness, but mental struggles, I'll say, or mental hygiene. Mm. It is quite different than physical well-being in that when you break your arm, you know you broke your arm. It hurts. You can put it in a cast. Everyone can see it's in the cast. And it'll be six to eight weeks before you're healed. Unlike mental health struggles, you can't see that someone is broken inside. You can't see that they're struggling. There's no timeline of when they'll get better. You know, for example, anxiety, we'll talk about anxiety here for a moment. I suffer from anxiety. I I go into this whole hyperventilation Mm -hmm. when I put a contact into my eye. I just start sweating, breathing very hard. I have to sit down, but I can fly a jet down to minimums on a runway, a slippery, snowy runway with crosswinds and not break a sweat. So there's that whole spectrum is I suffer from anxiety, but am I disabled? Mm. No, it just means I recognize my limitations and I know that I can't wear contacts. (laughs) So if we are a pilot and you're suffering from anxiety, uh, you know, and I know I'm making light with a contact in my eye, but if you don't have the tools in your toolbox to know what to do about your anxiety, it just keeps continuing to build into this compartment. Mm. Pilots are known to be great compartmentalizers yeah. as our lawyers, as our doctors, you know, high functioning, high performance professions. 
And we are great compartmentalizers, but that compartment eventually will fill. That compartment will eventually spill over. Mm. And what happens is that when that compartment spills over, you could be at flight level 350, you could be behind a wheel of a car, and you can be affected in, in many adverse ways. And like you said earlier, a self-awareness is so important. Correct. Other pilots can't talk about it because their anxiety might be they're dealing with internal issues. Their wife has a medical condition or they have elderly parents or they have teenage kids or naughty children and their anxiety just keeps building. So when they sit in the seat of a cockpit, it just flows over into communication, into leadership skills, situational awareness, Mm. teamwork. It affects everything that we do in the cockpit. Absolutely. So in your experience as an airline pilot and researching for your book, what are the most common health issues that people are facing um, in this industry? Uh, Mental health issues. Uh, I have interviewed over 100 pilots over the last three years all over the world and have had numerous hundreds of conversations with pilots about their struggles. And I believe it's stress, anxiety, and depression. Those are the three silos that I find most pilots are suffering from. Now, they express it in different ways, in a Mm -hmm. wide variety of of ways, but those are the root problems. I believe this is an industry-wide problem. No matter what country you live in, what culture, stress, anxiety, and depression will be the number one disability, according to the World Health Organization, by 2025. Oh my god, that's really shocking. Absolutely. Mm. So following on from that, what changes can we make on a personal level to hopefully curb those figures for the future? Um, There are many self-care activities that are part of developing well-being. And these cost mm, little or no money and involve minimal effort, in fact. And some of them actually require no learning at all. As silly and as foreign as a few of them may seem, they really do work, such as walking outside and noticing nature, going for a leisurely bike ride, um, breathing and relaxing, uh, meditation, perhaps getting a massage or call a friend, uh, listen to an inspirational talk, pet your dog or your cat. I have two dogs and I think I think I take them for granted (laughs) without sounding too silly because it's been proven that animals help reduce your stress and it's so nice coming home and just having these two little bikey tails greet you at the door and I have a whole chapter about that in in the book Mm. I think something that as you say we take for granted or watch a funny show or laugh at yourself small changes uh, that you do in awareness really lead to big results so 
you know, I tell everyone that I, I listen to and coach that if you start by making just one small change, you know, that will create a new avenue, a new highway, a new neuro highway. And after you do that for a period of time, creating this new highway, that highway becomes wider and stronger and you create this new habit. So that old habit, that old highway becomes smaller and smaller. So creating new habits one at a time is the really a small step, but a big step mm. in creating well-being. Yeah. No, I, I completely I completely agree with you because during um, my flight training, I taught myself how to crochet and that was so much fun. One, because it was a completely different activity to studying and flying and everything, but also you get that immediate gratification of making something. That really helps me even now if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed I'll just pick up my crochet hook and remove myself mentally just for I don't know for maybe an hour or two hours and make something and that's just like a small activity but yeah it's helped me and will continue to help me and it's a new you know skill that I've I've taught myself absolutely and what you've just explained is you're creating space in this world, in this culture that we have, everything is nonstop social media, which plays a big part into our stress and our anxiety and our depression. We're a nonstop world and creating space like you did with your crocheting lets you, your mind just wander. And wandering, you know, when you're not in an airplane is a very good thing. When you're in an airplane, you don't want to mind wander, but your brain really needs that space, that time to just be unplugged. Yeah, just because sometimes it can be quite difficult to just switch off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring up a very good point. And with turning off, I think most people don't know how to turn off. And even if they're outside, enjoying nature or going for a walk. One tool that I use in my own life is mindful meditation. And I have a teaching certificate from Brown University and I'm a teacher in mindfulness, but I didn't get there overnight. And Mm. when my journey, when I hit my brick wall, when I was 50 years old and I was, had high blood pressure, and I was diagnosed with anxiety, I knew I couldn't take any medication. So I had to find another tool. And I started practicing meditation only, only because my, my doctor said that she thought it would be really good for me to do that. And I thought, you know, being the pilot that I am, I said, well, I'm going to show her that this isn't going to work. <laughs> so I was walking in our local Barnes and Noble uh, bookstore years ago when you were able to walk through bookstores and pick up books mm. before, prior to COVID. And I landed on this one book called Beginning Meditation by Jack Cornfield. And I picked up the book. And I thought, well, I'm going to read it, but I was reading it, not so much to get what I needed out of it, but to prove to my doctor that this woo woo meditation didn't work. And 
you know, I'm very self-directed. I'm very disciplined. And I said, I'm going to do this for six weeks. And when I go back for my uh, next appointment, I'm going to report to my doctor. It had no effect on me. Mm. <laughs> and so through those six weeks, I practiced, you know, my mind, I would continually wander. It would, con- and I'm thinking, oh, I can't do this. I, I'm just not cut out for it. But what I found is the more I did it, and the more I read about how your mind has a mind of its own mm. and it does wander, it's supposed to wander, that's okay. Just bring it back and focus on the breath again. As I kept practicing over that six weeks period, when I went back to my doctor as a follow-up on my high blood pressure, <laughs> I was shocked when I was reporting to back to her that it was working for me. Mm. My blood pressure had dropped by 20 points. Mm. I was sleeping better at night. I was responding better to my children. I was responding better to my spouse. Everything about mindfulness wasn't making me a robot. It was making me more empathetic, more human, connecting with the people that I love more than anything in the world. So um, just going out in nature, if you're able to think about nothing, which most people aren't, because they're not trained to think about nothing. I recommend if anyone is listening to this podcast as a personal recommendation, and a professional recommendation, if you could start meditating, maybe two minutes a day, and then Mm -hmm. expand that to five minutes. And then over a six week period, expand that to maybe 15 minutes and deliberately take a moment of the day. And I know we all have busy days. For me, it's the first thing I do when I get up in the morning, I get up at five o'clock in the morning, and I take 15 minutes of that time to meditate. And what happens is that the gray matter in your brain actually grows, and the amygdala gets smaller. So your fight flight response system is actually better in balance. And that is one of the key components I have found in establishing the foundation of well-being. That is one of the biggest tools and the most essential tools in your toolbox that you need to have. Because otherwise, you go and walk in nature, that's great. And I'm not saying it's it's not a good thing to do. But to maximize that nature, you have to really release that mind that that's creating that space circling back to what you have done in crocheting. It sounds simple, but it isn't. And you really need to train your brain. And just like you go to the gym or you go to the YMCA or your local training center, and you're training your muscles in your arms or your legs by either calisthenics or the elliptical, you're training that muscle to become stronger. And that's what we do in meditation. We train that muscle. Our brain is just a muscle. We train it to become stronger. And the way we meditate, as as I mentioned before, by expanding our minutes as we meditate, we're making our brain stronger by increasing the gray matter and reducing the amygdala. 
We've spoken about what we can all do on a, on a more personal level. What would you like to see the industry adopt in order to improve the overall well-being of everyone in aviation? That is a really good question. So I think I'll start by saying is I think organizations need to embrace and introduce programs that raise the awareness of not only physical health, yeah. but mental health for all aviation employees. And in turn, I believe safety will be improved. It's a waste of time to advocate for measures to improve the rapport between pilots and medical examiners, for example, unless we have these programs in place. And the acknowledgement of stigmas and culture barriers and mental health issues are meaningless if a pilot can't be reassured that he or she is not risking their job to talk about mental illness. So I think that regulation across the world, whether you're in Canada or in the EU um, or the United States, that barrier has to be brought down. And even though there's been some understanding and improvement in the United States concerning mental health and well-being issues for pilots, currently only a few recommendations have been mandated um, as you know, we all wait for reform and, and, and that's unfortunate. So the bottom line is this, the relationship between work-related stress, pilots, well-being, pilot performance, and safety needs to be better understood and supported at different levels, starting with the change in the current regulations. And by improving the current regulations and the policy I believe pilot medical and psychological health will no doubt improve, which will improve public safety. And that leads to less risk and liability for corporations within the airline industry. I completely agree with you. A lot of education, I think, is needed because mental well-being, you know, is important for everyone and it should be treated or taken as seriously as physical well-being. Mm, Absolutely. And I want your audience to know that I'm not saying that every pilot has a diagnosable mental illness. What I am saying is that we should be taking care of our mental health in a similar way that we take care of our physical health. Mm. No, I think that that's really important. And Thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. And I really hope you enjoyed having this conversation with me as much as I did. I thank you for this opportunity to be a voice of many. Thank you for the invitation of of coming onto your show. And I look forward in continuing our conversations. I'd just like to say another massive thank you to Renee for joining me in this episode and just for being really open about her experience with her mental health and the steps that she's taken to improve her overall well-being and she's given us some great bits of advice and definitely given me some food for thought and sort of good pointers for how I could make small changes to help improve my general well-being and finally I'd really like to hear your thoughts about this topic and the steps that you're taking to try and improve your mental or physical well-being and just sort of start to have an open conversation about this 
Uh, thanks again for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Cockpit, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Beyond the Cockpit with Grace McKellar. Find us and like us on social media. Search at Beyond the Cockpit.